Hello, everybody, and welcome to Queerly Air. My name is Brian, and I use he/him pronouns. And today, we are going to be talking about why queer people have mental health issues. Now, I know that might be a little bit on the nose, but we wanted to start talking about how there's a common misconception that just because someone is LGBTIQ+ then inherently makes them more at risk of mental health issues, self-harm, and or suicide. But what we need to start doing is reframing the way that we think about this, because it's not our diverse sexuality's agenda that makes us at risk. It's the negative experiences as a result of being LGBTIQ+, that actually puts us at risk. So that's what we're going to be providing insight on today. As always, we will be talking about mental health, and in particular, we're going to be talking about experiences with homophobia and transphobia. So if you've had any of those experiences lately, or you think this sort of content will be quite triggering for you, uh, you might want to consider that. And there is a number of services out there that can help you if you're in crisis or you want to talk to someone about what's on your mind. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. They're open 24-7, and you can also access them on lifeline.org.au. You can call Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800. There's the Suicide Callback Service on 1-300-65-94-67. They're also open 24-7, and you can visit them on suicidecallbackservice.org.au. I've talked about Headspace a lot. It's a great resource for supporting young people and their mental health. Uh, They're all over the country, so I can't give you one number for one location. But if you jump onto headspace.org.au, you can find your nearest branch. And uh, you can also jump on eheadspace.org.au as well for counseling online. Uh, QLife is a phone counseling service specifically for LGBTI people. Um, Their number is 1-800-184-527, available 3 p.m. to midnight in your state, and you can visit them on qlife.org.au, and they have that online chat as well. And of course, there's Freedom Center, which is where we come from. Uh, We're not a crisis line, but if you ever need direction in where the best place to seek help is, you call us on 9228-0354. The email is info at freedom.org.au and the website is freedom.org.au where you can find all our opening times so you can come into any of our drop-in sessions and talk to the staff and volunteers to get that information as well. All of the information will play after the outro music, in the middle, and in the description for this podcast. So before we start, I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Chase. My pronouns are they, them. Hi, my name is Avery. My pronouns are she, her. My name is Lewis. My pronouns are he, him. So first of all, I commend all three of you for throwing yourselves in the ring to talk about some of the heavier stuff. But I think it is really important that uh, we, we kind of talk about the things that put us more at risk and then I guess how we can combat them. The first thing that it will probably say a lot throughout this podcast is the term risk factor. So is anyone confident to explain what a risk factor is? Uh, yeah, sure. A risk factor is sort of just a thing that can happen to you that essentially makes you more at risk for mental health issues going forward. So while you might experience like discrimination and stuff, which is a risk factor for mental health issues, it doesn't necessarily mean you will end up with mental health issues as a result. It's like just a, like statistically you're more likely, but it's not like a, you know, an on-off switch. If we were to kind of say in our own experience what one of the greatest risk factors are for young LGBTI people, what, in our opinion, would we say that is? Not enough accurate or positive LGBTI, like, exposure in the media and stuff. Because mm-hmm. personally, I... Um, 
a lot of I'm transgender and a lot of my um, like mental health issues surrounding that came from just being so confused because so much of the information it though it wasn't like absolutely terrible it wasn't absolutely positive and it wasn't like seen as an okay thing everywhere mm. uh, so that representation that you say is maybe not accurate would you consider that in your opinion a form of discrimination I'd say so yeah like I think it has gone a lot better in like the past couple of years but when I was first starting to like find like experience like oh maybe I'm transgender I, I couldn't find any particularly good stuff on it but yeah I'd say it comes down to discrimination because people in the general media like general people do see it as a negative thing and thus they treat it as a negative thing thus there's less positive representation I think it's a problem where often almost the most positive representation that I saw especially when I was younger was it's like you have this this thing it was almost like kind of talked about like an illness and it's your problem to deal with and it's like oh you're so strong for kind of dealing with that mm. it's like that's that's not at all what I wanted to hear I wanted to hear that it wasn't weird yeah 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 and I think at a, at a certain point it becomes part of what I would say Leah's like internalized homophobia and internalized transphobia is that you see negative portrayals of people like you and then you start to think oh this must be bad mm. and so yeah, it, it just feeds into like um, it, it just feeds into a cycle, and it really preys on the people who ha- haven't come forward to ex- like self accept mm. themselves yeah. yet, or um, or you know haven't you know realized their sexuality and are trying to like explore that, and then they're like, oh, you know, I can't be gay because that's the bad people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's explore that a little bit. Internalized homophobia. So in terms of defining that, how how would we define internalized homophobia? I think it's kind of when you end up projecting or you kind of buy into the kind of negative things that you hear and that you see yeah. to the point that you, even if it's not actively, you kind of end up believing it and then also perpetuating those same things. Yeah, it's kind of like all, like, what others would like to say, a couple of straight people, never anyone gay, they go, they go, oh, we hate gay people, they're terrible. And then, like, you keep hearing that and you believe that. That's, like, internalised. And then you, and if you're gay, then you start hating yourself because that's what you hear people saying. And it's it's not always as clear as just, like, you, you feel, like, hatred towards mm, yourself definitely. because often, like, that's not really possible to an extent. Like, your brain really doesn't want to hate itself. Yeah. But essentially it's just, like oh, uh, if I have to be gay, I'll just be one of the, like, normal gays. Yeah, yeah. Or if I'm going to be trans, I'm going to be one of the ones that people can't tell are trans. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, that's all internalised homophobia because or internalised transphobia because you don't want to be seen as one of the bad gays. Mm. Yeah. Um, when, in realistically, in this society, people don't consider there to be any good gays regardless. Like, mm. so yeah. you, you... Like, even if you are one of the people that us more socially accepted you're still not completely socially mm. accepted so the only good gays are the ones that don't act like gays yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like not agreeing with that statement yeah no yeah. obviously i don't i don't endorse this statement mm. but it's what i think was very much pushed onto me is that the only way that you can be kind of an acceptable gay is to just shut that part of your identity off so that's internalized homophobia. What about external homophobia? 
Yeah, I think that's more like your garden variety homophobia that you sort of garden see in the variety yeah, homophobia. Just, yeah, just grows everywhere, kind of like a weed. Like mm. it's just discrimination, like bullying, rejection, just bad stereotypes being seen everywhere in the media. Like that's externalized homophobia. It's the stuff that you know impacts you from other people. It's when people are saying that you're bad because of this. Has anyone directly had an experience with external homophobia that has significantly impacted on their mental health? When I came out, it was like quite a while ago, like 2008. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not that long ago, it's like 10 years, but like people, it was still like a very different time. And I remember coming out and getting anonymous like messages because apparently my, my suburb is just small enough that people who didn't even know me knew I'd come out. Um, and there's just like messages about like, threatening sexual assault and stuff like that and it was kind of just really frustrating and annoying like one thing I was like just people like a lot of the homophobia is like oh you're gay you're going to go out and sexually assault other men or something like that and like that's a huge like negative pervasive stereotype and then straight men were threatening me with the sexual assault it was just extremely confusing and frustrating and something I wasn't able to talk to other people about because like, how do you tell other people that mm. this is happening? And then, like, another time was, like, just walking through a park with my dog and then a bunch of kids I didn't know, like, following me and yelling at me. I've been lucky enough, personally, because I only came out this year and it's it's 2018. Everyone, like, the difference between, like, what, 2008 and 2018, like, it's insane with how much more accepting people have become. So I've been lucky enough not to experience anything, like, horrendously um, homophobic or transphobic. However, there are still people who, um, they, 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 they're not, they're not deliberately transphobic. Mm. However, Mm. like, they don't mean to be transphobic, but they really are. Like, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, you're not a real guy, or... Oh, you can't be sp- more like Spider Woman when I'm like, oh, I'm Spider Man. No, you're Spider Woman, and it's just like, mm. and then like, oh, whoops, not anymore. Ha ha ha. They're just, just ignorant, basically. That's an interesting point, and I want to get uh, your opinions on this. Is there a difference between malicious homophobia and transphobia and ignorant homophobia or transphobia? I'd, I'd say so yeah. because I think that when someone is maliciously doing it, you know, like. It, you know within yourself that that's why they're doing this. They're meaning to hurt you. Yeah. Mm. Um, whereas when it's subconscious, and that's what we kind of call microaggressions, which is like stuff that happens below the public, the social consciousness of like when you send out an invitation to everyone being like, you can invite your opposite sex partner to mm. this or, you know, when there's just like no gender neutral bathrooms available, that's like a microaggression because it's not intentional. It's just stuff that people don't think about. And then you have to sort of work on it yourself as it, yeah. in the same way that, like, addressing someone as, like, hey, guys, it's considered a microaggression against women. And it's, like, something that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It just makes you something... It just makes you someone that needs to work on your way of interacting with yeah. the world to make mm. it more inclusive. If someone's being homophobic, transphobic, bullying you, what are ways that we can challenge that behaviour... And what do we need to consider when you are challenging that behaviour? I've had a little bit of success at just pointing out how kind of ridiculous it is. Mm. Uh, similar to what uh, Avery was saying before, um, when I came out um, as uh, gay at school, um, there was this big like, oh, you know, check that 
check that they're not watching you, like, in the change rooms, people making out that I was going to be, like, perverted because I was, you know, suddenly gay, even though I wasn't suddenly gay, I always knew. The first time I heard something like that uh, in person, I basically just walked kind of over to um, the the girl who was saying that and said, just kind of pointed out, like, what do you think that because I'm gay that all women are just immediately irresist, like, I'm... I don't know how to word it. Mm. Like, no, I, I get what you're I'm saying. I'm going to be attracted to all women, like, regardless. It's Yeah, I wouldn't be attracted to someone who's as much of a bully as you. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that worked less because of what I said, but more because of all of her friends making fun of her for it. Mm. So while it didn't, you know, immediately make her a better person, I think it did kind of make her think. And I know that she's a significantly better ally now. So... I don't know how much that had to do with it. But also, beyond anything else, it was actually really satisfying at the time to be like, no, you're wrong. But in a way that kind of, because we were in high school, they wouldn't have listened to me saying, no, you're wrong. But to basically just point out how ridiculous and how kind of self-serving that discrimination was. So basically just like educating them. Mm. Yeah. Except in a bit of a more of a sassy way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pointing out the ridiculousness of what mm. they're doing. Yeah. Um, I also think that humour is a way that you can dissipate tension if you do it correctly a lot of the mm. time as well. Like, um, But I found that if someone is making like small comments that I consider to be particularly transphobic, then... I'll just ask them to explain what they mean. Like if they're mm. if they're telling a like a joke about trans people, I'll like get them to slowly explain it to my face. Yeah. And oh, what's funny about that? Yeah. Then mm. they slowly like oh, um, nothing. With um my own stuff, well, not my own stuff, but like when people make small comments about me being trans, which is supposed to be funny or just an offhanded comment, which they don't mean with malice. I have found like the best way to do it is to just tell them that that's not okay and that hurts. Because these are people who, like, they don't hate me. So, and, like, we, these are people who, like, I either um, am in, like, the same club or something as or who I go to TAFE with. And, like, so they don't want to have a bad relationship with me. So if I, like, say, no, that's not okay, they will listen. So mm-hmm. education is the best thing for people. I think it's also important to consider when you are challenging homophobia or transphobia um, that you consider if you're like safe to do yes. so. Mm. There may be people who take on board what you say and there may be people who don't. Mm. Um, and I, I am someone who firmly believes that you should challenge homophobia and transphobia on every instance, but not at the expense of your own safety. It's like if you're walking home late at night and some group like guys yells out a slur, you probably just want to ignore it. Yeah. I actually ended up in a kind of weird situation. I've uh, I ended up in this a few times where it's like I'm with someone who is of the opposite gender, but maybe I wasn't passing, or maybe they were trans and they weren't passing. Um, and it became a situation of us getting yelled at for, like, homophobia, basically. Like, just, like, uh, are you two guys or are you two girls? And then essentially... I like how do you reply to that like mm. oh it's okay we're trans mm. it's just it becomes like a lose-lose situation of like you can't even just like lie to get out of it particularly when you're a trans woman because like for me my voice doesn't pass so if I'm passing physically opening my mouth and explaining myself makes the situation worse mm. but then people get annoyed if you don't reply to them because they feel like they like they deserve your response and, 
Ah. All right, time for the intermission. Just to remind you that if anything we have said is causing you any sort of distress, or we've empowered you to reach out for the help that you've been thinking about getting for a while,、uh, there are a number of services that are available to you. Lifeline is available on 13, 11, 14, and they are open 24 7.、Uh, and you can also access lifeline.org.au. Kids Helpline is 1-800-55-1800. QLife is 1-800-184-527. The website is qlife.org.au and online counseling is available. And for more services that are available to you, just remember that this played at the beginning. You'll hear it at the end after the outro music. And you can also find all of this information in the description for the podcast. Let's get back to it. The reason that we are trying to bring light to these issues is because there's kind of you know, a conscious or unconscious perception that if you are LGBTIQ, that you are inherently, inherently at more risk of poorer mental health. Like, if you get one thing from this podcast, it's that it's actually it's not inherent, it is the experiences that LGBTIQ people are. Having with other people、mm-hmm. mm. that is making them have poorer mental、yeah. health、yeah. or further at risk. It's not like you're born gay or something and it's like, oh no, I'm gay, I'm g o i n g to have depression now. It's more like, oh, I have realized that yes, I've been born gay, and now that people know, they're all yelling abuse at me and that's giving me depression. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of stuff that I've seen in like mental health research that definitely. Um, presses on this, like family rejection is like the、mm-hmm. largest,、yes. like it's the most important thing in, in terms of、um, like young people's mental health,、mm. particularly young LGBT people's mental health. And then social rejection is、mm. the next most important thing. And then also when you come to the internalized stuff, like people are more at risk of like suicide and self harm and stuff if in the period between realizing they are LGBT and then coming out.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And that's not necessarily like, oh, just you know, come out as quickly as possible because you know, that, that'll make you safer. It's more to do with the, like, the other stuff that's going on, like the self hatred or the, the fear or the shame.、Mm, yeah. yeah.、Um, And that's why we need to be proactive in the way that we are inclusive. Because there is a period where someone realizes that they have a diverse sexuality and gender and they come out. Like, and it,、mm-hmm. for everyone that varies. But. That is the period where people are like, at the highest risk of self harm and suicide. And so, when you become aware that you have a diverse sexuality or gender, you become aware of how the world accepts that or doesn't accept、yeah. that. And so, that's why it's really important to not just be like, oh, I would be, I would be open and tolerant if one of my friends came out as LGBTI.、Um, I would be able to, you know. Respond to that positively. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's the way that we talk, it's, it's you know, tackling those micro, microaggressions, it's educating yourself, it's all those things. And, like, yeah, that's, it's, get, it's like a, even like around like young kids, that's incredibly important. Like, I realized I was LGBT when I was 11.、Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I came out when I was 15. Like, that's four whole years of. Experiencing like quite bad homophobia and transphobia, not even aimed at me necessarily, like、mm. just、mm. around me. And that's partially why I struggled with internalized homophobia 
for such a long time without even realizing that's what I was going through. Yeah. And then, like, I think I, I was, like, even aware of being, like, gender diverse, like, much earlier, like, from, like, early childhood. And then the extreme negative reactions to just not being a normal kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, that it took me, like, what, until I was 21 to come out as trans? And that's, like, yeah, almost two decades of being ashamed of who I am. And it's, like, mm. it's why it's important to change the culture to make young kids feel okay about being who they are. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Just like if, if a little kid comes up to you and they're like, they're born male, and they're like, oh, I want you to call me she and I want to be able to wear a dress. It's like, you know what, sure. It doesn't necessarily mean they're transgender. However, just like, it doesn't matter. These like, mm. the idea of she, he, they, they're all just, they're words that we've created and we could give any meaning to them. Mm. In the end, they do make people feel safe and like, personally, I people need to call I really appreciate people calling me hey because anything else makes me feel horrible I was actually thinking kind of on the lines of that you know the oh we're not going to accept it because what if it's just a phase yeah so what if it is just a phase people just because even if you're going through a phase you should still be supported yeah in Mm. going through your phase the same as you know I support my friends and their crappy goth phases. Yeah. I'm gonna like feeling personally attacked right now. Oh so am I personally attacking myself. Um but just because someone you know, if, whether it's a phase or not, people still deserve to feel supported and accepted. Mm-hmm. Well someone on this podcast has said if you if someone comes to you and says, you know, I f- wanna wear a dress and I want to be called, you know, XYZ and then you are supportive that's great. And then later on, if they come out as trans or gender diverse and you're supportive, or they say, actually, I'm not trans or gender diverse and you're supportive, all you've done is guarantee that all throughout that you have been a supportive person mm, yeah. to them. And it's it's genuinely that simple. Yeah. It's like any phase, it, even though like it might not last, it is still building towards this mm. person and what they're going to be like in the mm. end. And if you make that a positive experience for them, they're going to be a positive person. Yeah. And I think that's what's so heartbreaking about parents who reject their kids sexuality and gender because they're like oh I don't want you to have a hard life so you should stop being gay you're giving them a hard life yeah by doing that like that's so so heartbreaking that's what's so heartbreaking about it like your kid is going to end up at a higher risk of mental health issues because you Mm. couldn't like because you were worried about them having a higher risk of mental health issues yeah and I think as well, just on the, like, you know, little kids who want to, you know, express themselves yeah. in whatever way, let's just say they, you know, aren't trans or gender diverse. I've always thought, like, what you've done is, like, you can almost guarantee that they will meet someone who is trans or gender yeah. diverse. By normalizing, you know, like, gender expectations and pressures, all you're doing is just building someone who is open-minded, who understands, who doesn't have that same, you know, binary system of gender. Yeah. Do we think things are getting better in the world? 100% personally, because as someone who came out this year and, like, hearing other people's stories, I've been extremely lucky in the amount of, like, uh, discrimination I've gotten. Yeah, I'd say things are definitely getting better. It really depends on the particular area you live in Mm -hmm. or the culture that you live in. Sometimes things get worse, but hopefully... In general, the general trend is that Mm. things are improving for LGBT people. I think that um, the like the internet has a big role in that, especially because now kind of that education that was stuff that I found out through going to the Freedom Centre and would never have even thought of to see online mm. is online and like there is a 
there are Wikipedia pages on gen- different gender terms. Yeah. And, you know, there are there are guides. There are, you know, what to do if my friend comes out, what to do if I'm thinking about coming out. I think that the increased services, the increased, like, visibility and the kind of increased ability to be like, oh, yeah, I came out and it wasn't that bad. Mm. Yeah. That exposure and that education is what, like, helps and makes people more accepting. Because people, I feel like people are inherently afraid of the unknown. It's a survival Mm. technique. You want to be afraid of that new, scary, spiky plant because if you eat it and it's poisonous, then you're dead. (laughs) Please don't eat gay people. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Um, Yeah, so, like, people are afraid of LGBTI people because they don't understand them, either that or obviously they've um, been told they're terrible. (laughs) But with all this new education, which is so easy to access, and, like, new shows, I think, like, places like Netflix and YouTube, they've they've had a big difference because they're accessible to everyone now. Mm. It just Mm. makes people less afraid. Mm. Now that they're, like... YouTubers uh, who, you know, make family-friendly content um, and are also, like, quite honest. Mm. I know that that's been helpful to a lot of the younger kind of trans people that I know. Yes, definitely. Well, that's you lot now. (laughs) (laughs) You've put yourselves forward to be able to talk about your experiences um, so that other people can listen to them. So that's you. Terrifying. (laughs) And things... Also, just to talk about, like, trans people in particular, things are definitely getting better for trans people because if you think, like, 20 years ago, how hard it was just to transition, Mm. Mm. like, you had to... Like, one, you had to be attracted to the, the... Like, you had to be attracted to people so that you would be straight by the end of your transition. You had to live full time as a trans person, like, for two years before being able to get hormones. And, like, that's just really hard, like... People are really awful to you when you are gender non-conforming, and so mm. if you are unable to, like, even like approach being able to pass because you don't have hormones and stuff like that, just think of like twenty years ago. That would have been like dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And these days, people are generally okay if you don't transition fully before mm. you get hormones because they understand. Oh, this is going to make your life worse if you are forced to do this like yeah. mm. um, people are a lot more understanding there's a lot more ways to transition there's a mm. lot more options for people who don't want to transition like you know get all of the surgeries and all of the hormones and all of that kind of stuff mm. there's a lot of like nuance available and yeah. that's just making things a lot better in a way that's not just like a social change but like a change that we've made through the medical system as mm. well Yeah, I think it's also uh, kind of what you were saying about like options for people who maybe don't want to fully transition. Uh, there's, I think, a big uh, alleviation of the amount of kind of social dysphoria placed on people, because mm. the way that I've kind of always seen my relationship with my gen or with my body as a part of my gender is that I don't see anything wrong with, or there's nothing wrong with my body, but there is. But what's wrong is the way that treat me that people treat me because of it. Mm-hmm. So almost all of my dysphoria is is social, yeah. and that's because you know people will see the way I look and go, "That is a woman." Yep. Personally, like I kind of find a bit of the semi-opposite thing with my mm. dysphoria. I find that it's extremely... It comes down to the physical side, but not even, like, my like what people see of me. Because, like, I, I've always... Um, 
I, I've always like accepted my body because I, I just feel lucky, honestly. However, it comes down for me to, to still the physical and more of the, um, I'm going to say this, this does make me very uncomfortable speaking about. However, I feel like it is important to say just in case there's anyone else who finds the same thing. But for me, my dysphoria comes down to like reproduction and like what I've been born with in that aspect. And I hate it. It makes me feel horrible. And then that transfers over to social dysphoria because every single time someone says, oh, she, it's just like they're slapping me in the face and going, you've been born with this. You're going to have a child. It's just like... Uh, Yikes. Before we go... Thank you so much for sharing all your experiences. Uh, number one, self-care activity, seeing as, you know, we've talked about some pretty heavy stuff today. Watching Vines. Watching Vines. Vine died a long time ago. <laughs> Vine <laughs> compilations will okay. never die. Uh, going for a walk. Talking to people. Great. Mine is ice cream. I love that your coping strategies seem to be... Um... Lactose? Oh, no, just related to, like, a woman who's recently gotten divorced in, like, a um, rom-com. Rom you are Meryl Streep. Like. I am as close to Bridget Jones as you can get. <laughs> you heard it here first, yeah. folks. Yeah, he even has gay friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank, thank you again for coming in. If you want to keep up with everything that we are doing, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we've actually, we've talked a lot about the differences between like coming out across generations. We actually have either podcast out or podcast coming up. Not sure when, what the release schedule is, where we're going to have young people talking to people from a much older generation about the differences between coming out um, and and having relationships and all that sort of stuff. So be on the lookout for those. Um, if you're talking about us online, it's hashtag queer to air. As always, there will be a link in the description for this podcast where you can go and rate it and tell us what you learned, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, and if anything... Again, I said it at the beginning of the episode. If there was anything in this episode of the podcast where it, I don't know, it distressed you or made you feel bad, listen to the pre recorded message after the music uh, for a list of services that are available to you. Okay, say goodbye, everyone. Bye. If this podcast has caused any distress or triggered you in any way, here are a list of services that are available to you. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and they are open 24-7. You can also access lifeline.org.au for more information on their services. You can call Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800. You can call Suicide Callback Service on 1300 65 94 67. Also available 24-7 or you can visit suicidecallbackservice.org.au. Headspace numbers are going to change for each location, so you can jump onto headspace.org.au to find your nearest branch or you can jump onto eheadspace.org.au to check out their online counselling option. QLife is 1-800-184-527. They're available 3pm to midnight in your state around Australia. You can also visit them on qlife.org.au and you can have an online chat similar to Headspace. Freedom Center's info is 92280354. Email us at info at freedom.org.au or you can visit freedom.org.au for other services that we provide. If you are listening to this and you are in crisis, I urge you to reach out for help and get the support that you need and definitely deserve.